2: An exploration of legendary records and their ongoing legacy. Not just the history, but how this music continues to evolve. Shaping lives, shaking rafters, and ingraining itself into our culture. We're opening the vault on a recent classic records re-release. Delving into its inner workings and lasting impact. Maybe you're a longtime fan who wants to go deeper. Maybe you're a first-time listener and you're curious to hear more. Either way, you're in the right place. Find us at Consequence of Sound or wherever you tune into podcasts.
0: Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Miniography, a Consequence Podcast Network production. I'm Dominic Suzanne Mayer, and I'm the host of Normally Filmography, and this time around, Miniography. This is the first of our short-form episodes that we'll be doing on off months between the main sessions of Filmography throughout the year here at Consequence of Sound. And normally we'll be talking about a filmmaker whose body of work is a little shorter or otherwise abbreviated, but this time, in the spirit of the holidays, we are not talking a filmmaker, we are not even talking a small body of work, we are talking a singular film. Jingle all the way. I'd like to introduce my guest for this week.
2: I'm Detective John Kimball. I'm a cop, you idiot! (laughs) Just kidding. This is uh, Randall Colburn. You may know me as a Consequence of Sound contributor and uh, co-host of the Losers Club podcast, a Stephen King podcast. You may have heard
1: of it. I have heard of it. Yes. In fact, I'm on that podcast. Oh, are you? Because this is Michael Rothman, editor-in-chief and president of Consequence of Sound and uh, also a constant contributor of Halloweenies, Uh. uh, Michael Myers podcast that's soon going to be moving over to... Springwood, Ohio, for Freddy Krueger. So lots of stuff going on. A lot of what? horror hounds. I think we're horror hounds. Would you call yourself that? Oh, absolutely. Well, that's good. What's the I think name? you're a horror
0: hound too, Don, right? I would say so. Yeah. Not sure I'd so rarely self-identify, but I'd
2: say so, yeah. <laughs> what is the name of the cop in the Halloween movie? Chef Brackett's a cop.
1: I'm a cop. I'm a cop. That's all I know how to be. There's going to be a lot of Arnold <laughs> impersonations. There will be a lot of Arnold
0: impersonations. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always... I thank both of you for joining me. I thank all of you out there for listening. If you are so inclined, we'd love for you to leave us a review. As always, we are on iTunes. We are on Podchaser. We are on Spotify. We are on most of the places you might procure fine podcasts.
1: Ooh, you said procure, right?
0: I have like a 40% success rate. I think
1: we with all do. When, at it, best. Yeah. when we're doing promos for the network and we always get to procure, it's just like... It's like when you would go You know, skating. there's a lot of other words you can use besides Procure. Uh, we've learned them now. But uh, it
0: sounds so cool when you actually get it right one true. out of
1: every nine times. It's
2: true. it's true. It's
1: true. Real quick,
0: Procure.
2: Procure.
1: Procure. We did it. We
0: did it. I we got it right the other time I said it too. Well, that's great. <laughs> well, you know who else got it right? <laughs> Brian Levant in oh. 1996. He got it right with the subject of this week's miniography jingle all the way
1: to be fair if we did want to do a filmography on you know brian he has a lot of films under his belt why don't you rail some of them off for oh, me, Mike? he's got uh he, he directed problem child 2 oh the, uh, the height of the series yeah the height of the series yeah <laughs> junior the late um john ritter from it so king's dominion <laughs> he also directed uh, beethoven in which when i was little i called it Beethoven. Uh, oh, I and my love father beethoven. looked at me like i was an idiot uh he also directed the flintstones which i appreciate because it has twin peaks kyle mclaughlin in it that movie sucks uh, well whatever um he also uh directed little giants which i, oh, I love little giants little, i like little giants he was the executive producer on the adventures of captain zoom in outer space and he didn't come back to direct Problem Child 3, but he uh, was the executive producer on that his too. Name to it. So that led it all the way up to uh, Jingle Away. But he had some great follow ups too, if you were interested.
0: Well, and I thank you dearly for that context. Mm-hmm. You're really setting an evocative <laughs> mood here, Mike, and I appreciate it. Yeah. Now, it's actually interesting that you mention all of these semi luminaries of early 90s family film VHS cinema because I feel like. If we're going to talk about why we're even going to spend the entirety of a podcast discussing Jingle All the Way, we have to open with the question, why do we remember Jingle All the Way at all?
2: Arnold! Good morning. Arnold. I'm near the turbo man. The a turbo man. man. Rock him, suck him, jet pack. I don't want my
1: kid to grow up to be an alcoholic. He's amazing in this movie. I think he actually is pretty great in this film. Well, he's film, but... good in every movie, but... But it, I don't think Arnold is the only reason why I remember Jingle All the Way. I think it's because all of us... Remember when people were this crazy about finding specific toys and not just Black Friday? Because this doesn't really happen as much anymore. Like, it just seems like Black Friday people are crazy about the deals as opposed to like a specific thing.
2: Every holiday season, there's one toy everyone has to have.
1: I want the Turbo Man action figure with the arms and legs that move, and the Walker Lauren jetpack, and the boomerang shooter
2: Getting it is every child's dream
1: dozens can be a real loser
2: finding it you got the doll right is this father's nightmare i'll get that toy i promise whoa nothing like waiting till the last minute i
1: sir especially on christmas eve <laughs> I remember vividly in the 90s just how crazy the holiday season was just because there always was at least one or two items. I mean, everyone remembers Tickle Me I personally remember how crazy it was, and impossible it was to find the Nintendo sixty four.
2: Yeah, well, I guess isn't that how it is now with those sort of uh, the like the tiny NESs and Super NESs? Aren't I guess that?
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think those are more of just like because it's a limited quantity thing. Yeah, it's more like among like retro collectors, that's probably like a big deal, maybe. But like, I mean, in terms of something ubiquitous, I can't remember. Well, online shopping's
2: changed everything because you don't have to go to a specific store and like you're running around from store to store, etc. Like, you know, that's a big part of this movie is like, oh, this this store just got a shipment and everybody's yeah. running to it which is i don't know there's sort of a stupid nostalgia i feel about the whole thing because i i loved malls
1: when i was growing up i do up. too they're I, at the
2: mall of america which was the mall did you ever go to mall america no
1: I, it's a it's a it's kind of a hellhole
2: i know but it, it, at the time it was new i remember yeah yeah
0: so i really love the phrasing stupid nostalgia yeah. because i think that's a good way into this because Whatever we're going to say in the next however many minutes about Jingle All the Way, I don't think any of us is going to make an earnest, straight-faced argument out of hand that it's a good movie. But mm. there is a sense... Well, you know, Randall, we'll we'll get to it. I promise we'll get to it. But... I do think there's something to be said for, you know, if nothing else, a wistfulness for just a world that doesn't exist. Which, among other things, this movie is an absolute peon to mall culture. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know... I don't know if either of you, let alone anyone listening to this, has ever fallen down this particular internet rabbit hole, but I really like watching dead mall videos. Oh, yeah. Where dudes just walk through mm-hmm. malls that are that should be closed but somehow aren't yet and just take footage of them. And I honestly find, you know, there's something kind of hypnotic, but beyond that kind of
1: resonant about it oh, in yeah. a
0: strange way.
1: Yeah. Our uh, Consequence Podcast Network director, Cap Blackard, We grew up together in South Florida and we were obsessed with certain malls. And one of them was the Galleria Mall because they had this really weird, dreamy 80s aesthetic where the lights were just low enough where you can you could see comfortably. But it was very low and very dark. So it had this sort of like almost David Lynchian aesthetic to it. And now it's different and it's a lot brighter and it, it, it's just been polished up and, and now it's more just fashionable clothing as opposed to having like a, you know, a more diversified selection. But we also remember one place that literally looked like Cloud City, aka Bespin uh, from the Empire Strikes Back in this place called the Fashion Mall. And we became so obsessed with, this is before YouTube came around, but we became so obsessed with finding like more information about it because I had closed down that like she actually got a permit or someone to actually open the door to let us go through the mall and there is nothing more like haunting than seeing like the leftover remains of a mall uh, because most of these stores they just leave and they leave behind a lot of stuff like like we, we you could tell which stores were in which stores and uh, the spookiest thing that happened was um she was going down a hall and saw like a tv that was still left on and the power was still coursing through the thing so in the hallway you could just see this like static tv that was that was in the back you know in the hallway and she has like Amazing photo collection of it, but we still look for them all the time because they are these ancient relics that are all across, like they're across all of America right now, and most of them are empty, which is wild. And it's amazing because this is a
0: movie that we're only, well, only 22 years removed from, I say, preciously, but. You know, we're only a couple decades removed from this whole period we're talking about where the shopping experience was ubiquitous. Beyond that, where the communal shopping experience was a huge part of culture Mm -hmm. for what in context is going to end up being a really brief time in the grand scheme of history. Yeah, And this is a movie that presumes you will be fond for it, and I suppose there's some truth to that, seeing as we're still sitting here in this studio talking about it now. Hell yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah I mean, honestly, like, what malls? I mean, there's the water tower in Chicago, but the you know, mall in my wife's hometown is like, Dad, there's like three stores open. It's it, so, it, so weird. It's and, so I th- sad. and I, you know, I mentioned Although, online, you know, yeah. shopping, and that's a big thing. But I also feel like fads are gone now. Like, I don't think kids really play with toys as much as they used to. Like, I mean. Well, they play on their iPads. Yeah. I was going to say, fads, fads, fads have too. just yeah. migrated. I mean. Um, well, there
2: was like Shopkins and shit. I know this because I have nieces and nephews. There are like toys and like Pokemon and Ninja Turtles are still like toys that kids love. Mm-hmm. Like.
0: And I mean, Fortnite's a thing now. I think Fortnite is cool. Yeah, no, Is Fortnite still cool? Hey, John I Harper hope or no or children that. are listening to this show, but tell me, I guess
2: but it's not like a tactile thing yeah. I'm, I'm saying in terms of like uh objects yeah uh like that's what I think is kind of cool because that's just what it always like you know uh, I was that kid pressing my nose up against like toy store windows looking in at like the trains and everything yeah. and so I have very fond memories of all of that and and it's funny because even though the malls here it's like there's this weird tension in the movie where the malls are depicted as both festive and uh communal and lovely but then also like these chaotic mm-hmm. monstrous places like one of my favorite things in the movie is when they're all diving after the balls to like you know um you get a doll people are literally just like football tackling yeah. and diving like mauling each other. and it's like so exaggerated uh like there's literally people like doing like stunt moves through um through like shelves and it just made me laugh really hard but it's also not i don't know it's just kind of like it's played for comedy there, but that's sort of the pre Black Friday, like people getting stomped to death culture. Yeah. So there's that too. But
1: it's also pre 9 11. I know that sounds a little like maudlin. No, but no. But it's I very agree. true. Like, yeah. I mean, you think of now, like with malls or any sort of like chaos that erupts in a public setting, the first thing that comes to mind is terrorist attack. And that wasn't the case in the 90s when we were watching this movie. And you
0: know, you hit on an interesting point there where it's like, we used to love going and being crowded within a place. And now everything in our culture is very actively built to help us avoid doing that exact
1: thing. Yeah, which I think is uh, obviously been to the major detriment of every mall across the world. (laughs) (laughs) But we've already found our way through in the abstract a little. So I want to refocus into jumping
0: into our discussion of Jingle All the Way itself, which if you're listening at home and you haven't seen Jingle All the Way, I don't know how this podcast found your ear, honestly, (laughs) although thank you. I mean that sincerely. But if you haven't seen the film, this is about Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Howard, the tallest, most Austrian man in Minneapolis, Minnesota, circa 1996, who wants more than anything to get his son, Jake Lloyd, the would one day be anakin skywalker of the star wars prequels or at least episode one i just want my kids toy (laughs)
1: excuse me yes i'm trying to find a turbo man doll me too me too do you have any more in the back (laughs) what (laughs) What these these guys
2: are looking for a turbo man a gentleman
1: (laughs) doll. yes (laughs) They're looking
0: for Turbo Man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody!
2: These two are looking for a Turbo
0: Man. Turbo
1: yeah, Man! <laughs> you know, what's so funny? <laughs> Where have you guys been?
2: Turbo Man's only the hottest-selling Christmas toy ever. <laughs> 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 Do you know what? We got plenty of Turbo Man's
1: faithful Sabertooth Tiger booster.
0: Yes, your Christmas spirit? Now, Arnold wants the toy. Arnold might destroy his marriage with Rita Wilson if he does not procure the toy, seeing as the film is built on him having told egregious lies to both his wife and child. He's a pretty about shitty,
2: like, family man.
0: What Christmas is going to look like this year, yes. And all the while, you have trifling-ass Phil Hartman next door. Who is out to smash on christmas eve is who, he a widow okay. he's divorced and he covets his neighbor's wife yes he does he absolutely let does. me just
2: say though it's awesome that in an Arnold schwarzenegger movie like the antagonist like the well the uh romantic antagonist is phil hartman I know. who is like the hunk of the neighborhood i kind of love that i do too that all the ladies love suburban ass phil hartman because arnold's often portrayed in those early movies as the ultimate hunk like Mm -hmm. you look at kindergarten cop the women are just googly-eyed
1: i mean wouldn't you be though
2: i I mean here's the thing is like i love arnold as an action star but buying him as a romantic lead was always a bit uh you know a bit of a a
1: trial for me see i always thought that arnold was more of like the dubious romantic lead like Uh as if like romance followed him and he was so busy with like you know, the, the, the MacGuffin that it was almost like love was a distraction for him. It's like the no time for, you know, love Dr. Jones. But when he did catch up with it, he was like, Oh, this could work also like in kindergarten cop. I never really get the sense that he's like running after Madeline Stowe. It's only until later he realized that, Oh wow, there is a connection with her at the end that he comes back, you know, to find her after the mission. He's not yelling after her. He's always going Dominic. Yeah. Yeah, like, like for for Arnold in every movie, I would argue it is always the mission is a priority. I mean, granted, obviously that's really on the surface with Terminator because that is wired into his mechanical brain. But even with every other movie, I mean, Commando, he has to get his daughter. Nothing else matters, even if, even collateral damage. And speaking of collateral damage, in the movie Collateral Damage, nothing matters more than getting revenge on the person that killed – I mean, the best there's always of, a directive for the him. The best
2: part of collateral damage is when he goes into a journalist's office uh, and they called his – because they called his wife and kid collateral damage in the terrorist attack, and he starts breaking all their computers and going, you want collateral damage? You I'll want? give you collateral damage. And this just is breaks collateral breaks damage. <laughs> Sorry, Dom. <laughs> and and
0: someone in the theater was just pointing with both hands, screaming, that's the name of the fucking movie. <laughs> that's the Is name that of the movie. That
2: was me at 11. So Arnold wants Turbo Man for his son because he realizes he's been a deadbeat dad. He's being really <laughs> shitty because he's at his job all the time. Never goes to his son's things. And uh, his son, Jake Lloyd, even though he's a little shit uh, in this movie, and I Total hate little him. little shit. But you
0: know, I don't mean to interrupt, but I want to jump in. The entire premise of this film is built around the idea that Arnold has profoundly let down Jake Lloyd because he did not attend his purple belt ceremony. Look, I got a purple belt in Taekwondo, and you want to know how hard I tried at that? Not very. A purple belt ceremony is not something that destroys a suburban family.
1: Well, and they really embellished that idea, which is a point that you you know pointed out when like we were watching it. In that he continues to walk into the 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 school, even though the parking lot is empty, the lights are all turned off. <laughs> like, makes no sense.
2: And like, how like, late do you have to be? Like. <laughs> Like this, like he's there three hours yeah. later. Does he still think it's going on? Yeah, I mean they like all the, had cell phones. Too. And the janitor's in there, like it's already done.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he's like he's like uh, I'll give you a purple belt. No, um, so yeah, so basically he's he goes to
2: try to get the toy. They're in low supply, and then he sort of develops an uh. Uh, An uneasy partnership with Sinbad's mailman Myron uh, that also it goes back and it's like kind of Slater and Zach on Save of the Bell. Like sometimes they're best friends and sometimes they're enemies. Exactly. And sometimes
0: they are actively trying to kill one another. Yes. Which which, if we're going to get into discussion of the film, I want to start here. Jingle All the Way is an abrasive movie because... You know, it might not be abrasive in its presentation, nor in its direction, nor in its cloyingly sugary soundtrack, which we'll discuss later in this episode. It is abrasive because if you describe the scenes... With flat affect to somebody, they would think this is aggressive capitalist satire Mm -hmm. about the ways in which the American man
1: is being ripped apart by his compulsion for greed. But I think the movie does do that, though. I think that this whole film is just one big punchline about how consumerism has destroyed the fabric of America. But does
2: the movie know that it is? I agree with you, Dom. I think this movie is not thinking about consistent themes No, I don't either. Like, why does Jamie give the toy to Myron's son at the end? There's no real... Like, because he says, oh, I have the real Turbo Dad at home. No, that's that's not how kids think. It's not how kids work. That has not been earned. Like, Jamie does not... Nobody comes around to being like, you know what, material possessions are actually bad. Like, they, they, they throw that on there at the end just to sort of say, like, like it's a very tacked-on theme. But still, the whole thing is about, like, getting the right toy will make – I mean, because – no, no, because Turbo Man is, like, celebrated as a as an as an icon in the movie. There's Turbo Man movies. Yeah. There's Turbo Man uh, TV show. There's Turbo Man, like, serial. There's Turbo Man everything. Mm-hmm. And that's presented as kind of like – like, Turbo Man's great. Yeah. Like, the movie's never well, satirical of I, Turbo I, I
1: Man. Th- I think it's supposed to be this wedged-in commentary at the end that uh, screenwriter Randy Cornfield, and that's Corn K-O-R-N, like the band. I'm not even joking. So Jonathan Davis wrote that? Jonathan Davis wrote the, the movie. He wrote Jingle All the Way while he was working on well, uh, it. That's why there's so much slap bass in the film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there's that one point where you know, Schwarzenegger gets into his Suburban, and it's like... <laughs> and like Ball Tongue starts playing when uh, you know, he turns in the corner in Minneapolis. I do think that the film itself... Earns the turn, though. I don't think Jamie the character does, but I think having watched the movie and seeing how, you know, you have this father who has literally gone through every hurdle possible to get this 12 inch figure basically earns the love for this child and the the kid has to give away. Like, I don't think this movie even works on a surface level. If Jamie keeps the toy, but did. the kid isn't celebrating him because
2: he went through the whole ordeal of getting the toy. He's only celebrating him because he no, sees I know. him
1: dressed as Turbo. I know, and I think that's a problem. But I think, as <laughs> in terms of the large scheme of things, as a viewer, I know we see it and we go, "Oh, okay." See, that makes I, sense. for one, find this seven-year-old deeply problematic. Oh, I also man. think that I also think that Cornfield was trying to uh, wrestle with a little white guilt at the end uh, because um, you know he was like, "Well, Sinbad's going off to jail, and his son is going to be left alone." at home without a uh, gift and, and I, I would have to well say that. that's
0: ridiculous were it not for the multiple moments in the film in which schwarzenegger is openly accused of racism because this is a very weird movie for children mm-hmm. this is a children's movie in which among other things just from my notes You have Sinbad attempt to kill a bunch of cops. Oh, man. This film is one goofy cutaway scene away from Sinbad setting off a bomb in a Minneapolis building. Mm. Multiple bomb
2: jokes. Yeah. Multiple, like, mail bomb. Bombs are funny. Cops getting blown up by bombs at one point.
1: Yeah. They don't die. I mean, it's Looney Tune bomb.
2: It's Looney Tune bomb.
1: Yeah. But a bomb explodes in the hands of a
2: police officer. In a
1: radio station. In a radio station. It's like The Stand. (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I I felt that the the film tonally, if there's one strike against the film, <laughs> is that tonally it's all over the place. There's like I kept right I know against there's a bo- the there's film. There's a bunch. There's a bunch, but tonally the movie's all over the place because it wants to be planes, trains, and automobiles, and yet it also wants to be like weird science at the same time.
0: Yes. Like if you're if you're going to bring up tone, it's strange because the spectrum of this movie ranges from the very dirt worst of 90s hijinks space pratfall comedy yeah. and i am not to be clear an opponent of pratfall comedy i grew up on the three stooges in wc fields a guy falling on his face <laughs> is inherently funny however it is not funny out of hand here and there might be a discussion there about why it's not funny but i think it's also kind of
1: unfunny because it's a weirdly mean spirited movie, oh, a yeah. lot of
0: the time. well,
1: this is a movie that hates Christmas, I feel, and I think that's kind of what makes me like it yeah. because one of the things that I hate about this season, which we didn't really get a lot of in the nineties and, and you know this is before Bad Santa came around, and this is before I guess it's around the same time as like home for the holidays and all, but you don't really have that sort of anti Christmas movie with the exception of like maybe what black Christmas like this is like feels like that sort of beginning of, like, an anti-Christmas movie that now is sort of the norm. Like, I feel like this is almost, like, the template for pretty much every one of these sort of, like, snarky, cynical, like, Christmas movies that come out nowadays. Like, I almost kind of, like, miss—now it's, like, the flip side. Now I, I'm feeling nostalgic for a wholesome Christmas movie because those just don't feel like they exist anymore. Like, yeah,
0: because a lot more is in the vein of this or exactly. your Christmas is with the cranks, yeah. if you will. Well, because,
1: honestly, like, everyone hates Christmas above the age of, like, 10 or 15, maybe 20 well, like, yeah, because you, like you it's definitely, definitely
0: hit an age where Christmas kind of just makes you feel poor.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, I come from a Jewish family, so it's, it's a moot point, but I still remember <laughs> a lot of, you know, the norms and customs, especially since I went to a Catholic school all my life. But the one thing I always remember is just like that sort of like the humbug nature of all our parents just being like, God, this fucking sucks. Again. Well, yeah, let like, me, you know.
2: I just want to say like, I responded to that too. And I think it's because like, I, I struggle endlessly in life with the idea that, Christmas makes me depressed. Mm -hmm. I get sad around the holidays. I get depressed. And I just recognize the worst, most uh, carnal impulses of people. Um, and so for me, I watch this movie and I'm like, "Hey, look, it's not snowing ever. Mm-hmm. Just like it never snows here. It's always fucking raining, like around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like, and it depresses me so much because it's so gloomy and shitty and wet. And then the kids in this movie are such little shitheads. They're all like annoying and loud and obnoxious, and like the movie does not like them. Or if it's trying to make us like them it's failing like i hate jamie the whole thing is about like having to struggle through mean nasty selfish crowds people turning on you left and right just a general sense of meanness and selfishness and grossness that i've just come to expect from uh from the holidays
1: yeah which is kind of again why i'm i like it even if it doesn't thematically work and I would agree because I think one of the scenes
0: that's weirdly effective in this movie I won't make a straight-faced argument for is that exchange in the diner mm-hmm. between Sinbad and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Because not only do you get the absolutely goddamn hysterical visual of Jake Lloyd in Sinbad's outfit yes. slamming yeah. old granddad.
1: Peak moment of the movie. Yeah, for me,
0: arguably the best visual gag. But you also get this one strangely poignant and tender back and forth exchange because, Mike, to your point, you mentioned planes, trains, and automobiles. Mm-hmm. There are like little
2: bits of this movie chasing a John Hughes vibe, but it's too mean to really get at that. Yeah. And it just like too, I don't know, this feels like a script that was rewritten probably a thousand times. Yeah. I bet the original draft was actually kind of heartfelt, maybe more hughes But I feel like once they got Arnold, and I could be totally wrong on this, but just the read that I get from it was that once Arnold got cast, there was probably some... Because they were like, oh, wait, if we get Arnold in this, because Turbo Man, we can like maybe get him in the superhero suit and it'll be like such a great like fusion of things and I think that they rewrote the script to make it a lot more like actiony because now there's like so many action set pieces of Arnold like encountering a bunch of like Big Show as Santa Claus and then like fight scenes and cops coming in and busting things up and bombs and then like literally the whole third act of the movie is the parade where all logic is thrown out the window as Arnold and Sinbad they like you know they come out like the henchmen come out the demons or whatever they call them like Arnold beats them up at one point those are actors like those are in the world of this movie those are actors those aren't actual bad guys yet he really hits them and fights them and knocks them down and and then nobody like bats an eye at it and then like fucking like Sinbad's chasing Jamie up on a roof and they're like hanging and like Jamie actually falls and if he didn't have the turbo pack, Jimmy oh, yeah. would have splat on the ground and yeah. died. Yeah. Like I don't I don't see a first draft of that script where all that stuff happened.
1: No, I don't either. No? I mean, and it was actually split between two. It was originally that cornfield. I <laughs> still can't get over that name. <laughs> um he wrote it after witnessing his in-laws like at a, a Santa Monica toy store uh trying to get some Cabbage Patch Kids or some Power Rangers and Chris Columbus, you know, producer. He he was the producer, yeah. Uh he actually Agreed with those feelings because he felt he he saw the frustrations because he f- similarly tried to get like a buzz light year figure for his kid or something. And so to Chris collectively can't get a buzz light year. Yeah, I guess that like, give me a break. The director of Home Alone. Can't get a yeah, buzz light year. Give me a break. But apparently Columbus said he was attracted to the dark side of the happiest holiday of the year. So that, that, that intention was always there. And reportedly, I guess Schwarzenegger was quickly cast.
0: Okay. It's on there. So, well, and it's a very you know. weird fit too, because you have to kind of situate this against where Arnold was in his career, mm-hmm. which is worth looking at at least briefly here, because this was sort of like, look... This movie made 60 million domestic during its run, adjusted for inflation that's 96 today. So, this was a hit Mm -hmm. by all old conventional standards. Yeah. But on the other hand, you're catching Schwarzenegger during a period where he's sort of at the end of his powers as a draw, where he can still open a movie at number one, but it's not busting the box office the way it once did.
1: So
2: it was post Last Action Hero.
1: Well, it's interesting because like 94 for Schwarzenegger was really kind of a depressing year because obviously like Last Action Hero was the beginning of the downfall for him because it it came after Terminator 2. That was his follow-up. To Terminator 2, which was just not a smart follow up, and I like Last Action Hero, despite some of its problems that it has. I, I think I'll, the the kid is probably the weakest part of oh, the movie. Hype killed it, but the hype definitely did kill it, and also releasing it next to Jurassic Park was bad. But he did start slightly recover because he did True Lies with James Cameron, which yeah. is arguably one of his best movies. I feel, and it also indulged in the comedic aspects that he had with Kindergarten Cop yeah. and Twins, and it was twins. kind of setting him back on a good you know trajectory. But then. Before he gets to jingle all Away, he follows it up with like that year. It, he just absolutely fumbles his comeback with Junior, which is not a good movie. And I and, I and I and I've heard people talk about how they've come to appreciate it a little bit more now. And while yeah, Schwarzenegger does do a very left field sort of performance here, because clearly you know America's Muscle Man is pregnant. What America's a funny joke, Muscle Man. <laughs> um, but he and then he follows it up with Eraser, which is clear. Like it's if you rewatch Eraser, it is. Almost a a black and white photocopy of what they were trying to do with True Lies, where they just replaced Tom Arnold with, you know, lesser known.
2: Yeah, but there was no, it wasn't funny. No, well, there are aspects of that. They were trying to but it wasn't. True Lies was funny.
1: So, you know, Eraser came out that summer, you know, prior to Jingle All the Way, and Jingle All the Way was a follow up to that. So, yeah, he was experiencing some sort of downward spiral at that point, because guess what came after Jingle All the Way? The Christmas movie that he directed? No. Uh, Batman and Robin the, Ooh. the following year. So this was... Chill out. This was legitimately a really, really sour time. And the beginning, pretty much the beginning of the, the, the sourest times for Schwarzenegger.
0: Well, allow me to break the ice. <laughs> I, I actually don't... Chill.
1: Have...
0: <laughs> <Chill>. <laughs> you know... Even if he was about to be on the decline, though, the flip side of that, with this movie being a modest hit, especially against its budget, is that Arnold was still, honest to God, a draw during this Mm -hmm. time. And there's really no other draw in the movie. I mean, the 2nd build star is Sinbad, Uh, the third is Phil Hartman.
2: Don't underestimate Sinbad's pull at that time. Sinbad Sinbad could pull a movie. I would
0: argue, though, Sinbad was also at the end of his powers, because this would have been towards, like, the first kid end of his
1: run in the 90s. Well, guess who, fun fact, guess who was original choice before Sinbad? I'll give you a hint. Joe Pesci? Yeah. Oh, I could see that. Yeah, because of, you know, Chris Columbus. Uh, But he couldn't do it, so... He just he, he, he's he just, gonna do casino or if I anything think, I, like
0: schwarzenegger and pesci would have given a lot of scenes in this movie an even more intense dynamic arguably i know
2: like pesci's just like like he's always i don't know like even in home alone you're just like he's going to kill the child
1: well i guess i guess here's here's a debate here's a debate was this sort of the peak moment for sinbad really though because you know he house Guest and coneheads Houseguest is probably his biggest film. Love Houseguest. I actually really love Houseguest. I saw it on a date. Phil Hartman. I was
2: really young, so it wasn't really a date. But. Oh, oh, how about that? It that's a, that's much better than my first date. It Mine was with a Kazam. Girl. Kazam. Um, yeah, which we you talked mean about. Shazam.
1: But sorry, Don. Either way, the same year that he does Jingle All the Way, get when you just have us two. On. I know. I know. <laughs> the same year he did Jingle All the Way, he also did First Kid. And would you argue that that was his biggest movie then? I
0: wouldn't argue it was the biggest, but I would just argue there was a very specific period of time in which I would argue the clean comedian was sort of a hot Mm -hmm. entity. Because nowadays we, you know, the clean comedian is something like a sketch comedy troupe makes fun of. Mm -hmm. But the clean comedian, at least in the 90s, and I would argue in no small part due to Full House, among other things, had like a hot minute of cultural currency. Yeah. And I think Sinbad was a way of, you know, getting like... I don't know how to put it any more eloquently, so I'll just say that what to someone in Middle America would be Def Jam comedy energy without any of the danger, Sinbad would be a pretty good approximation. Yeah,
1: and I and I would agree. I mean, look at all his movies. Houseguest is man. is the most harmless comedy of the '90s, probably. Hey. I mean, even the even the thugs that are in that movie, like the the, the Italian gangster guys they don't do anything they're bumbling idiots that have no threat whatsoever you don't even see them like killing anyone they just Welcome like maybe break house something house guests the pod house guests the pod i would love house guests the pod by house the way. Pod. House um, guests a 14 episode series podcast um but it is interesting that I, I would say that probably the most successful person in this movie at the time was phil hartman
2: yeah no not nobody's more successful than arnold
1: I mean, in terms of like where the career trajectory was going, Phil Hartman's was going up, whereas everyone else was just kind of yeah. I mean, that's probably true in but, tandem. But like Hartman's up
2: would never reach Schwarzenegger's
1: death. No, but I, I'm saying in terms of a trajectory, like the one that's kind of slumming it here, the most. I well, would...
0: because Hartman was in the heights of news radio at this time, mm-hmm. like one of the great sitcoms of the '90s. This would also, not to completely destroy the vibe, but this would be Hartman's last on-screen appearance while he was alive. The last overall would be Small Soldiers the next year. So sad. Another banger possibly for a future miniography. But honestly, more than anything, you know, I, every Christmas time... Speaking of kid rituals, I watch Marge Be Not Proud from The Simpsons, which has, among other things, one of the best Troy McClure bits in the history of that show. The point is I miss
1: Phil Hartman all the time. All the time. He's great in Small Soldiers. I love him in that movie. I love him in this. I think this is probably Full Hartman's most iconic screen, on you know, on-screen role. I don't know.
2: You're throwing words like iconic around. He's
1: really good in this movie. I think most people <laughs> remember him in this movie he's than funny anything else he's... Th- th- than any other movies. He's Out- so hammy in this movie, but oh, I it I fits the tone. There's a scene when, like, he's
2: eating cookies uh over the phone with arnold arnold's like put the cookie down but then like phil hartman's like orgasming while he's like eating the cookies like all these these cookies (laughs) i was like losing it
0: you know because nothing screams sexual threat like a milk toast man in a hunter green polo but you know as we get into the second half of the show I want to kind of keep this idea of you know what works and doesn't work about the movie in mind as we move into discussing the technical side of Jingle All the Way. Now
1: it's two fathers. This is war. One mission. Woo! Oh, poor
2: baby. <laughs> and every man for himself.
1: Yeah! I'm thinking maybe, you no, know, we could join up as a team. You know, like like Star Hutch. a late delivery of Turbo Man. That toy works.
0: Let's go. As we're getting into the later half of our discussion, talking cinematography and editing, because yes, even on this miniography Jingle All the Way, we're keeping the categories of filmography intact. I want to say a quick word about the terrible fit of hate speech near the end of (laughs) Jingle All the Way. Because if those of you listening at home are unfamiliar... Listen carefully to the scene near the end of the film. You can still hear this because it's on the copy that we just rented off Amazon Prime yesterday. You can hear Curtis Armstrong's booster being kicked off the float, at which point, for no real reason at all, he's accosted by a group of children. And you can hear one of them yell, We don't like you followed by the
2: other arguably worse F word that we used to throw around a lot more freely in the 90s. Let me pop in here. I like the booster bit because there actually is a moment earlier where somebody says that nobody likes booster. Yeah. And uh like and I love and that's such an underplayed bit in this movie is mm-hmm. that there's this supporting character in the Turbo Man universe that everyone hates. Yeah. That to me is very funny. It's also so, very real. Yeah, and so like when he gets kicked off and the kids just like the first instinct these children have is to is to descend on this person and yeah. kick him and attack him. And I I did not hear the slur when I was watching it because it is arguably t- a little bit buried. Yeah. But like, because I was laughing because I thought the bit was funny because it's literally these children just kicking this man in a For suit, no screaming, "I we don't like you, Booster," mm-hmm. which is so mean. Like that's so mean. And so, but then, and it's yeah. not
1: like he's a villain in the Turbo Man universe. I know
2: he's like so he's a good
1: guy, which is it, so it's, it is very funny. Having said that. They could have done without the, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that's not a good idea. You know, more than anything, I just stop and I go, you know,
0: how many people did that have to get past? And maybe it was at the end. Maybe some editor was just like, you know what? I'm out here on the cutting fucking edge, putting jingle all the way together. I'm about to do something. But it was
2: like 96, 95, right? So it's just like it wasn't the word it was then. It was bad then. Yeah. Look at like the movie Old School. Which, what, came out in 2002? There's, like, such a like a blatant use of that word that's supposed to be funny in that movie. Mm-hmm. What's wild is, like, usually when I get my jaw dropped by it nowadays,
0: it's in some late 90s teen comedy, which is where it was by far the most omnipresent. Yeah, definitely, yeah. You don't expect to hear it in Jingle All the Way. No, I, I was surprised by that for sure. But then there's a lot of things you don't expect out of Jingle All the Way, including we can't move on without discussing the part where... In the only example of reckless child endangerment more severe in this movie than Sinbad throwing Jake Lloyd off a roof, when Arnold <laughs> then picks up his child and launches him with a jetpack above Minneapolis with nothing to hold him except his own huge plastic arms.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They which, are
2: huge arms. Which is
0: they of, are huge <laughs> arms.
1: Which is hilarious too, because, and this is how you know the movie is totally self-aware and how insane it is. If you didn't already get that when jim belushi is basically having an underworld of santas but at the end he's pretty much floated right underneath the atmosphere of our world and four (laughs) hours later he's just hanging out in the living room with rita wilson like man that was today was crazy you know like (laughs) what like four hours ago you're floating above the city Like, you should be in, like, an ECU somewhere or something like that. Wow,
2: today was crazy. Can you imagine if
1: he was just up there flying around with his son (laughs) and blood started coming out (laughs) of his
2: boy's
0: nose?
1: I also like the idea that this is a world where Turbo Man can absolutely exist because the technology that Turbo Man uses works at this Minneapolis parade. Now maybe I would possibly buy this sort of technology in this sort of fictitious situation if it was like New York
2: or I think we need to hold off
1: on this because we're we're talking about
2: cinematography and mm. you are literally opening the can of worms that unravels the entire third act. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like we have to we have to hold off on that. Yeah, because if we
0: start we will never stop. Exactly. I would agree. Okay, okay. We okay. will
2: get there though. You're opening Pandora's box. So let's talk about cinematography because what the fuck do you guys have to say about it? I mean, <laughs> you know, one thing I want to point out is that we're going to talk more
0: about visual within this. I should probably broaden this to imagery at large because in photography, this is the most TV looking ass movie you've ever seen. Yeah. Well, they were originally However, gonna get Roger Deakins, but you know. <laughs> Though I will say the character designs are interesting because Turbo Man is actually like weirdly well designed in a way that's kind of convincing in a way that these characters within
1: movies rarely are.
2: Yeah. I I buy Turbo Man as like a hero within
1: this universe. Here's the thing. We all laugh right now about this movie, but the cinematographer for Jingle All The Way is exceptional. He actually is one of my favorite. Uh, Janice. Like, Comansi. no Janice, He's my least favorite <laughs> cinematographer. Um. But this guy is a legit veteran of like Hollywood. Cinema. Let's hear it. I'm not joking. Um, especially with comedies, especially the late '90s uh, or the '90s comedies, like kind of uh, Well, no, he did American Pie Presents Bandcamp, but he. Um, no, no, I know that sounds bad, but he also did Tommy Boy, which I would argue is one of the most perfectly lensed comedies of the '90s. In Agreed, pra- like it's gorgeous. He did uh, Beethoven, obviously, because he worked with the same director. He did Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which is gorgeous. That movie also. He did National Lampoon's Vacation, which is another really solid film in terms of just even the visuals alone. He did Mr. Mom. He did Author, Author with uh, Al Pacino. Very underrated film. I mean, he's done a lot.
2: I'm glad you brought this up because if there is one thing that is... He did Dog
1: Day Afternoon, for Christ's sake.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. Well... Like, okay, that's that just kind of changed the conversation. But and I'll slapshot. I'll pause yeah, I'm for a minute. It's crazy. But let me just say that one thing that connects all those movies that I think was actually related to something I was going to say was I actually appreciated. I was going to say earlier. I I mentioned this kind of earlier, but I appreciated that this movie isn't. They don't don up Minneapolis as sort of a winter wonderland. No, which a lot of these movies do, and that's part of the charm of a lot of Christmas movies is that they look like. Uh, You know, these these gorgeous snowy downtown thoroughfares with lights everywhere and Santa's on every corner and all that beautiful shit that is not real, or at least in my world. The winter in this movie looks it's dreary, yeah. it's gray, it's uh kind of depressing and it's slushy. No, there's a sense it, of place to this movie for it, sure. It just reminds me of that's yeah, that's what Christmas has always mm-hmm. looked like. Yeah, me. it does look like a suburban Midwest winter. Which yeah. and I'll say all those movies you were listing, like Tommy Boy, National Lampoon, but basically he captures what sort of middle America looks like. Like, if there's something yeah. that Tommy Boy does so well, like as a road movie, is all the roads actually look like they are driving through the middle yeah. of Illinois because I've had to drive through the middle of Illinois many times in my life. and it's boring. and it's mm-hmm. not that exciting. And yet they don't feel the need to gussy it up. And that's one of the things that I actually appreciated about Jingle all the way. And uh, this cinematographer, it seems like he at least had an idea or an eye for capturing what a Midwestern milieu looks like. Well, oh yeah. Know, or the landscape. Absolutely. You know?
1: I will say, like, one of the film's strengths, for sure, I feel, is that, like that sense of space or that sense of location is so key because those not without you know being pedantic and using the same sort of example that David Wayne always makes fun of is the locations are a character. Like the mall is, is, is just as important as the characters that are running around it because you have to feel as if it's real because well, this, this, this wouldn't work like this movie wouldn't work if you couldn't buy the locations, which is, one thing, like I, I, like I saw the movie Instant Family this year, hated it. Great, movie. and one of my least favorite films this year. And one of the reasons why I hate it is because first off, there's a lot of reasons why I hate that movie. But the problem with modern comedy now is that there's just no prioritization of that sense of place. Like it's just all these constant conversations that are just happening in these innocuous places. It could be a Panera Bread, for Christ's sake, and it doesn't matter. To these comedic directors anymore. Like it's and that's a
0: that's a problem to me. Like, well, and one of the things that's really wild about this is the way in which the movie gives you a genuine sense of scale at points, especially when you're running around the mall of america and obviously not everything was shot on scene but some of it i know was Mm -hmm. and just in general everything from a mall packed with people even down to just people wandering around in the background of the shot there's a scale to the sets because this is back when we'd shoot in real locations a lot more readily than we do nowadays that kind of feels absent from a lot of like especially lower budget modern movies like this especially at the studio level wow
1: this is wild so apparently the the filming did take place in minnesota it was for five weeks in april of 96 and at the time it was the largest film production to ever take place in the state because they were filming era. in the mall of america yeah they filmed in the mall of america that's which they said was just impossible because yeah. crowds were just you know, well if you
2: watch way. it, like there's like certain times when I was watching it and I'm like, I think that guy was like like Arnold really just bumped into him. Yeah. <laughs> and he wasn't an extra. But I will say, like, I can't stress enough though, if there's the other thing I'll say is shooting on location is like it's so stupid, but I love malls when I was growing up. And the idea of the Mall of America, when I heard that there was a roller coaster mm-hmm. in the Mall of America. And you see it in the movie. I know. That's like porn to me. <laughs> Like, it was. When I was a kid, it was like porn. Well, I always wanted to
1: go to Camp Snoopy, which was at Mall of America.
2: Well, yeah. It's just, like, the idea of – because, like, I I had Lakeside Mall. I used to work there, too. But by the time I worked there, I was pretty much disillusioned Mm -hmm. by it. But, but, you know, when I was younger, going to the mall was the most magical thing.
1: Well, it's interesting because we both come from two very different places. But mall means a lot for two very different reasons. But very unified with one thing weather for me the ball was an escape to get out of 95 to 100 degree weather in miami yeah for you both of you it was a way for you to escape the icy storms and just to get into some sort of connectivity like yeah I, you know for us it was just an escape from the heat and we did not really give a shit if we met people and stuff because we were outside all the time anyway but for you, for you two, I feel like the mall was like a sense of community. Like you really got to see people. Basically. Well, for
0: one, until you had a car, that was where you went on dates. Yeah. Group dates usually, but if you were lucky, like a date beyond that. Mm-hmm. Like the mall was sort of just like, yeah, like a general gathering place in a lot of respects, especially around this time of year.
2: Well, it was also, and this is like relatable to the movie. It's like I found commerce like comforting. Yeah, <laughs> like I love to go look at stores and fantasize about things to buy and and uh, browse like various things and, and just walk around. I don't know. I loved browsing, and it was. Like, I still do. Yeah. I know, but it's like it's just such a capitalist thing, you know. It's like, I, but I was raised that way, and I mean, it's just the way it is, but. I, I always I, I always found such comfort in just kind of going into shops and looking around. Well, and... even
1: just think about like even beyond a capitalistic point, like it's kind of goes into like the foundation of like how this country is even discovered. It's like there's something about discovery yeah. that comes into going to a location for searching for something. You're not always looking for something, but sometimes, you you know, maybe that does come where the commerce comes into play. But a lot of the times when I would go to the mall, it was just I wasn't there was nothing. There's no sort of, you know, without... For lack of a better word, a MacGuffin for me. Like I didn't need any reason to go. I just right. wanted to well, yeah, float. Same, I just yeah. wanted to fucking float. Yeah, and if I saw something, then great. But there was that sort of expectation of not expecting, almost like that unexpectation feeling. That was like that sort of mystery that was interesting to me, and I felt like the mall always had that, which is why I've never really gravitated towards like online shopping. Because for me, it's like if I need something, well, but it's there, so yeah, that's moot at that point. So yeah, like I, I think there is there's something about that sort of allure that does fuel this film because you keep wondering like oh the next location might have it oh the next location might have it or, like who is going to be at that next location it is it's almost like a video game in a way like each different level that arnold keeps going on but there is that hope or that mystery of like there there might be something in like the you know in the corner or you know in the aisle or which is why a lot of this movie is just spent with watching people run around like a maze and stuff yeah. like that it's I don't know, it's it's interesting that way a lynchian fugue if you will yeah yeah what if david lynch had made this movie
2: (laughs) but you know before we move on
1: (laughs)
0: before we move on from sight i do want to bring up one other thing which is just to pose the simple question why did we think a hard close-up on somebody making a face was so goddamn funny in the 1990s (laughs) because it is a stylistic trick Omnipresent within the time, and this movie goes to that well, especially with Arnold early and often. Oh
1: yeah, and like within the same minute, did you get the Turbo Man doll? (laughs) And then like, and then it does. He does it literally like thirty seconds after that again. Like it's just. Oh my god! I mean, yeah. First of all, like wall breaking.
0: When you do it, you can't. You can't not make the Tim Allen sound. (laughs) I feel like it's like a
2: shortcut to just be like okay, he's really shocked about yes. this. You know, I don't know. It's Or like, like provide stakes. Yeah, and just give it the stakes. Like he really shows like, oh, you know, and you can, instead of him being like, oh no, I forgot Turbo Man. Oh no, you know, then you just oh, cut I it mean, on his face and you can I'm see. I'm fucked, I'm that, fucked. Yeah, <laughs> you see the I'm fucked in his face.
0: But I think there's also something to be said for like when we still really, really relied on our movie stars to be able to carry a movie through sheer presence Like, don't get me wrong, there are still dumb star vehicles built around, like, the A-listers of today. I mean, I paid to watch Skyscraper in an IMAX theater earlier this year. Worth watching? Oh, absolutely. It gets in and out in under 90 minutes. The best thing (laughs) any action movie can do, arguably. But, you know, before we move on, I do want to ask, in the spirit of filmography, as always, for the lasting image, a single
1: shot or image if you may,
0: from Jingle All the Way that lingers with you. For me,
1: it's exactly the one that we were just talking about. It's it's Arnold looking to the camera and going, <gasps> like, that is, when I think of Jingle All the Way, that is the first thing I think about for some reason.
0: Well, and in that same regard, what I always think about is for some reason, and I have no idea why, other than because the trailers for this movie were omnipresent on children's television yes. during this time. Arnold doing the weird top-down shot where he's supposed to be staring down at Sinbad going, oh poor oh, baby yes yes <laughs> like for some reason that specific image is lodged in my brain to this day i've seen thousands of movies since and that's not an exaggeration but you just and it's just still
1: there but it's because of what you said before it, th- there was not one commercial or trailer and I, th- and I think it speaks to my image too that didn't lean on these images and those quotes like Every TV short, even if it was like 15 seconds, we have the oh poor baby. Like I got another. Dangling.
2: I got another one from the. I I well, I remember it from the trailers, but it's not like I rewatched them. Him punching the reindeer. Yes. <laughs> You started it. Yes. That was such a big deal because I think it's the CGI reindeer, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. It looks so stupid and weird. Yeah,
0: and, and you know, it's not relevant to anything else we're discussing, but I just need to, like, take this opportunity to point out that that scene is resolved by Arnold getting a reindeer drunk.
1: Yeah. Which, yeah. Like,
2: I just love it. all of a sudden he has a six-pack of High Life and he's just drinking <laughs> yeah. with the reindeer.
1: I, like, lost my mind laughing at that. Genuinely funny. Here's a question that I have uh, based on that scene. Would you been okay with uh Arnold just taking the toy from Phil Hartman? Yeah. Yeah, right? Because Phil's an asshole. Yes. I was wondering like but we're you watching caught. it. But he didn't have to get caught. He could have easily just opened it up, thrown it away, and
2: Well, the movie would have lost a little it would have lost its entire third act.
1: Or which is <laughs> which might have been a good thing. It's
2: psychotic third act. Yeah. Acts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like would the movie actually take on a better tone or actually earn its tone more? If he just took the toy, well, Phil's little
2: kid seems like a little shit, anyways.
1: I feel like I, I feel like if you really want to make an iconic, even more iconic movie here, and I am using that word sparingly oh today, boy. but I feel like how much more would we remember the film is if like he actually gets away and takes the toy, <laughs> and it would say so much about the holidays. If, if I if mean, had... I
0: think you wanted this family movie to be a lot more network than it was supposed yes. to be here, granted, <laughs> but like. You know, speaking of (laughs)
2: tone, let's jump into sound. Oh boy! Yeah, yep. I'll say this. I know that the score is really a maudlin, but I'll say that I love the abundance of of. It, they're most of them are covers, I think, but like of the various Christmas musics.
1: Like oh, I mean, just, like all the Brian Setzer songs. Like, yes, because let me tell three you, three
2: of them in this movie. If
0: one thing really nailed this movie as being a mid '90s period piece for yeah. me, more than anything, it is the presence of the Brian Setzer Orchestra Christmas album, which was in my family's Jeep growing up. <laughs> Every day of the holidays until I prayed for the sweet release of death.
2: Look, you give me Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, you give me Jingle Bell Rock, you give me uh, any of those
1: upbeat ones... Like
2: I'm in I'm 100%
1: Jingle Bell Rock Is without a doubt In this film for I know sure. and I love it Yeah and you know What's funny is Like a few weeks ago When you came into the office You were just like Playing for like Four hours straight Just Christmas music Yeah
2: mostly more Unironically. Unironically Oh I love Yeah like that's the thing Is give me some of the Give me some of the classics Like but Not like the slow I'm not into the slow ass ones Like I don't need Bing Crosby I need like, I just want the rock and roll or the Mariah Carey. Yeah, and that's
0: what I was going to say. I really love Brian Setzer Orchestra because it kind of filled this cultural moment where it was like dudes in the suburbs going, no, my father's Glenn Miller. No, no, no. We, I need something edgier for my Christmas. No (laughs) big band standards here. I need something rocking around
1: this Christmas tree at least they do have and rocked he did the darlene love song with the brian setzer orchestra which i like which is a sleigh ride so that's a good one i love darlene love that would be my icebreaker if i ever met david letterman because he liked uh darlene love a lot and i say liked because he had, didn't have a, he doesn't have a show anymore david letterman's still alive and well uh the, the one song i really don't like in here is um deep in the heart of christmas which is written by sammy hager and i can't stand that song and I Sammy's would say that Sam. Well, he wrote the song, but it was with uh, Brian Setzer Orchestra and uh, Darlene Love actually sings that song, but Sammy Hagar wrote it. But it's just Sammy. A very, just Sammy Hagar wrote a Christmas song. Yes, for Darlene Love and. Brian Does he Seltzer. mention Cabo Wabo? He doesn't. I wish he did though. <laughs> and then, and then, at the end, and then at the end, Schwarzenegger pulls out some Cabo Wabo.
2: <laughs> oh, I love this. Yeah. Have a drink, Mr. Reindeer. <laughs> you know. I
1: was going to say, that's when he gets <laughs> the reindeer drunk. Well, out actually, Sammy it would have been have some cobble-wobble. Or he could, it could have been like the post-credit sequence with uh, Rita Wilson when she's like, well, you didn't give me my gift as if they are trying to set up a sequel or something. And he like pulls around. He's like, well, I got, I got you a gift right here. And then it's like, Cabo Wabo and then just like you know zooms on there yeah I got you some Cabo Wabo I got you some I got you some Cabo Wabo why don't you have a drink I I love love that your Arnold is becoming more and more Tommy
0: Wiseau
1: I I know it is
2: but I think that's because my favorite Arnold is like soft spoken Arnold Mm -hmm. uh, because I I love the Arnold soundboard and I'm sure that you can all relate to that and a lot of quotes from it come from this movie like one of the quotes in the Arnold soundboard was him just saying hi and he goes hi Hi. and so like you know it was like hi it was like gentle and we used to use that one all the time and it was so funny and it was like and so there a lot of the more gentle ones from the soundboard are in this movie so i'm always trying to do the more soft-spoken arnold and it does it does veer into uh tommy yeah yeah but you know
0: in bringing in bringing our discussion to a close i do want to give the floor because you know mike and i both kind of came out from the very beginning of this podcast going we're here to make fun of this here today. Randall, you took at least a slightly different tack and I want to give you an opening at this time.
2: I'll just say it's like, I think that people look at this movie like it's bad on the same level as, um, how are the duck or something? How are the duck or like those movies that are sort of famously bad? Like I've I've realized that this is a movie that has the reputation of being famously bad. Like I know that like, and the thing is, I feel like I've heard other podcasts talk about this movie, uh, like bad movie podcasts. Like I feel like, how did this get made? Maybe did, they did yeah, yeah. And like I like those podcasts a lot, but I will say that oftentimes I think they strain to find things. to Well, make it's like fun the cinema
1: sins thing that like, yeah. Becomes oh, annoying. well, cinema
2: sins is purely bad, but like it's like they'll just be like. Oh, why did Arnold do this? That doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, well, A, like, I don't think we need to necessarily be looking for sense in movies Mm. like this. Like, this is a stupid comedy that's moving from point to point to point. And I feel like sometimes we strain to mock things that... Are maybe stupid, but not necessarily incoherent. And yeah. if we, if you go by that metric, then like a lot of great movies have stupid shit in them too that we just all you know love. So I was watching this movie, and not only is it, it, does it move really well and is thoroughly entertaining. It is, yeah. Because I mean, Arnold to me is, uh, Ar- Well, I'm also very biased because literally Arnold could just poop, and I'd, I'm in. Like he could just go. Ah, yeah, I'm still in the John. I adore. Arnold Schwarzenegger like mm-hmm. i can't put it into words like i we did a top 10 arnold performances on consequence of sound like God, very hard four or five years ago i wrote the ones i wrote i was writing about them like i was getting like emotional mm-hmm. like go read my kindergarten cop write up i am a lunatic well that's one of your favorite movies it is i adore that film i know he's problematic he's my problematic fave i know he's got issues and he's been a shitty person in his life It's tough. And then Sinbad, you know, he's not he's not great. He just yells a lot. Yeah. But he's charismatic and I can enjoy him. Yeah. You got Phil Hartman, who's amazing. You got uh, uh Rita, Wilson. Rita Wilson, who's a very solid in her underwritten shitty role that a lot of women had to play in those times and still do. Uh, she does great with it. You've got a lot of like great supporting people. You got Chris Parnell. I think Jim Belushi is perfect in the role that he's in. You got the fucking big show from WWE. Uh you got Vern Troyer. I'm into all of it. And so I was just saying, like, does every beat of the movie work? Oh, you got Martin Mall with a really weird ponytail? Yeah. It's like not a lot of this movie really w- – like it, it works from moment to moment. It doesn't really hold together. The themes don't really work. It's a mess. But at the same time, I, this to me is not like – it's it, when you're looking for stupid holiday it's fare. It's comfort food. It's a comfort food. It's yes. fun. Yes. It's like – I mean honestly – Which honestly, honestly
1: like, that's majority of Arnold Schwarzenegger's movies are comfort food. I know. And I mean, that's
2: fine. I, if there's one thing that I would say like, like – even though I mentioned the reindeer punch earlier and that I love him giving the reindeer beer, like – You know, I remember my ex, uh, we were watching like Harold and Kumar once, Mm -hmm. that movie. And then she we were watching it and she just goes, you know, movies like this would be a lot better if they just cut the whole like deer in the backseat thing you know, which is in that movie, but also in like Tommy boy and Mm -hmm. stuff, those moments of like really high comedy involving animals and gimmicks and things like that. You can usually excise that stuff. Like that's like where they're straining a bit too hard. Like that was when I was losing interest is when he was destroying Phil Hartman's house with a reindeer and everything. I'm like, I don't need all this. Like, like give me the intrigue. Give me the, give me him in the toy stores. That kind of stuff was fun to me. And I can still say like, I feel like I haven't seen a lot of other Christmas comedies that necessarily toe the line. That this is towing, I think it totally falls apart in the third act when it comes to the the them dressing up as superheroes and everything. It's a mess, but overall, though. I would say that I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. I would show it if I ever have children, which I won't. I'm going. I would show them this movie uh, because I think it's stupid. It's fun. It's it's got a decent heart, but it's also got just the littlest amount of cynicism that I think works.
1: I actually 100% agree. I but I, you know I actually have a really good proposition for you. I'm not gonna have kids either, and I actually just booked like a, a week long tour across Midwestern schools in which um I'm going to be showing Christmas Cheer. And uh, so is, if you want to go with me, that is not true. Um, but
2: if it were, I would join you in and. Heart- Show
1: we're gonna be hosting a lot of screenings with Jingle All the Way.
2: And Jingle All the Way too, starring Lair the Cable Guy, which is a real thing. Is that really
0: and a real uh, thing? Yeah, and oh then the God. Sinbad role is filled by fellow WWE superstar Santino Morella. Oh, oh wow. shit,
2: I that part I did not know.
0: That's actually
1: true. Is it is it part of the Jingle All the Way universe? <laughs> <laughs> is it the is Jingle direct, All the Way scene? Is, is, is Turbo? It camp, Man yeah. in it?
2: Have you seen it, Dom?
1: I'll admit, in preparation
0: for this podcast, I watched a few minutes of it on YouTube. And much like every other straight to video sequel to a comedy you like from when you were younger, it's real bad. And I say that as Sam, someone who's watched more than one Sandblot sequel for oh, yeah. some reason.
2: Is Turbo Man in it though? Is it like, do they stick to the Turbo Man mythos?
1: Yeah, that. Okay. It, it's within the Turbo Man mythology. That's good to good, be good, sure. Good. Uh, so anyways, to, to speak on that yeah. though, I thought usually when you have these like in film sort of pop culture items, they're really lame. I thought they did an amazing job with like trying to build up like sort of like something that would be popular with kids. Like I thought the character designs were really cool. I actually thought that the the whole like the 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 suit that Turbo Man wears with like the kind of see through orange visor, I, it it got me. Like as a, as a kid that was an '80s kid that was totally like. Harpooned by these type of things, I absolutely was and t- the taken villain by was that. cool and the villain's cool yeah. too. And 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 while the third act does fall apart, I will say that like thematically and where it's building up, it does gravitate towards that. Like you needed to have some sort of outlandish, crazy thing if that's if you wanted to like keep warranting that sort of escalation of chaos. Yeah, you know, I, I get that. Having said that, still would have loved it if it just ended with him taking uh, the present from Phil. <laughs>
2: I think this is not a good movie. It's just a stupid movie. And that, to me, does not necessarily warrant it as a bad movie.
1: No. This is just a stupid movie for... And, you know, and honestly, we live in a stupid world with uh, stupid people. So yeah, it makes sense I'm, that they would have stupid movies.
2: And like, it's also for children. But also not because they also... Uh, there's multiple scenes where... Uh, Arnold is accused of racism and of being a pervert mm-hmm. to uh, like being a, a child rapist. And he goes, I'm not the pervert. I'm and not the pervert. So hard. I'm not a pervert. So yeah, the it, it's the tone is weird. I agree with you on that front, but um, it's, it's a harmless film and just, you know, Hey, Arnold's money in the bank. Catching. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. You said it wrong too. because It's catching and you go catching. so, ka-ching. Ka-ching. Ka-ching.
0: so... <laughs> I really don't have a better way out of this, so we're just going to take it as it's here. Boom. I want to thank both of you for joining me and for bringing way more thought and consideration to Jingle All The Way than probably anyone involved did. And I, I wanna could go thank... for another
2: hour, if I'm well, being
1: honest. I absolutely could. <laughs>
0: So I want to thank, as always, Kat Blackard and my co-host Michael Rothman for all the support at Consequence Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at D. Suzanne Mayer. You can find my work at consequenceofsound.net. I am the film editor there. I am posting so much shit in the next couple weeks that I'm probably going to claw my eyes out. Where can the goodly people of the internet find the two of you?
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Randall Colburn, R-A-N-D-A-L-L-C-O-L-B as in boy, U-R-N. You can read my work at Consequence of Sound and also at the A.V. Club and uh, a few other places. How about
1: you, Mike? Well, you could find me at at Mike Cernovich uh, on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I no, no, literally no, you, almost uh, did a spit uh, uh, Yeah, you could find me at uh, Michael Rothman and uh, all my work at Consequence of Sound. Uh, I currently plug my head into my laptop uh, when I'm not sleeping. So uh, all the stuff can be there and including uh, we have a couple more episodes in the Losers Club and Halloweenies coming up and uh, including a special Black Christmas episode that uh, is going to be spooky. So a little fun.
0: Yes. CPN is your place for any and all spooky based content. Uh, As Mike mentioned, we are not the only CPN podcast. You can also check out This Must Be The Gig, Lior Phillips' interview series, State of the Empire, our ongoing Star Wars and Lucas podcast, The Opus, our new music retrospective, and Kyle Meredith With, our hit music series. Oh, yeah. You can find Consequence of Sound on Twitter, at Consequence, and Facebook, slash Consequence of Sound. You can also find Filmography on Facebook slash Filmography Podcast. And for that matter, Consequence of Film, at which all three of us are regularly contributing slash Consequence of Film. You can leave us a review on iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or wherever else you procure fine podcasts. This show is recorded, produced, and engineered in Chicago, Illinois, by me, Dominic Suzanne Mayer, and we'll see you all soon.